bite my tongue. <laughs> Sorry. I'm leaving that in there. <laughs> really got me, too. Anyway, hi, everyone, and welcome to the Blizzard Watch podcast. I'm Matt, mouthful of blood, Rossi. With me this week are two amazing hosts. Uh, Going to go in reverse order here and, in, and introduce Corey first. Say hi, Corey. Hi, I'm Corey. Uh, I don't have a cool nickname like mouthful of blood, but I guess body full of blood, where it's supposed to be. I, my, my wife likes to use ugly bag of mostly water. Yeah. Because that's what we are. Yeah. Uh, also with us, because he, he's always with us, and, and he's got his Batman costume ready to go in case of an emergency, uh, Joe Perez. It's a Spider-Man costume, thank you very much. I like real superheroes. I don't Aww. like I don't like Batman very much. Sorry. Neither do I, is, it, but... is it because he won't return the favor? Uh, I mean, it's mostly because I'm I kind of grew out of the edgelord phase a long time ago. So, and Batman is basically just this giant person that creates his own rogues gallery and makes his own problems. And I like his rogues gallery way more than him. That's just Spider Man is just wholesome. I like Spider Man. I mean, I could I could easily deconstruct Spider Man the same way because oh my god, is Peter Parker a walking disaster? Who said it was Peter Parker? Uh, Miles Morales has nothing. <laughs> they have done nothing for that guy. I'm not kidding. I'm, this is nothing against Miles, but my God, the publishing. His greatest enemy to date is him from the universe he's now in, but an adult. And he went to the ultimate universe. That's his biggest enemy. Your biggest enemy can't be an older version of you who's got the powers of the Avengers from the Ultimates world. That's just weird. C- Cable disagrees. That that Rachel, Rachel, Rachel Summers disagrees. No, Rachel Summers' greatest enemy wasn't her. Uh, we could, we could, have. All right, well, we could, we could, we could go on about this, but I think we should. Not, I think we should have move on. <laughs> yeah, you would think that. No, but at any rate, um, Spider stuff just as complicated and weird as Batman stuff. But anyway, I don't like Batman either, so I don't know why I'm defending him. Because uh, you're Matt, and you have to do yeah. you have to do the opposite of whatever I do. That's not true. We agree on lots of things. Way too many things, actually. You're right. We should fight more. Uh, I'm going to go on and talk about some of the stuff going on next week in uh, World of Warcraft because I don't know if you guys heard, but patch 9.1 is finally dropping. Uh, we're going to get it on June 30th, I believe. Am I not? Am I correct? Uh, uh, if you're in the EU, June 30th uh, for North American servers, 29th. Yep, 29th. 29th. Okay. So the 29th for us American folks and in Europe, it'll be the 30th. A lot of stuff coming with it. Holy God, a lot of stuff coming with it. I wanted I, One of the things I actually wanted to talk about, because it's not something I think a lot of people really understand, and because Corey wrote our article for it, so I can dump this onto him and make him talk for like 20 minutes. Dungeon score. Corey, dungeon explain score. to people what dungeon score is. Sorry, go ahead. Something that makes, Matt, something that makes Joe go, Ugh. Um Dungeon score is just them trying to assign a value to how good you are at mythic keystones. Uh, the higher a dungeon you will run, the more points you will have attributed to your name. The higher and quicker dungeon. Yeah, speed is taken into account. Uh, you only, you get points for completing dungeons on time and with time remaining. And also, depending on whether or not it's tyrannical or fortified that week, you also can get extra points for doing that dungeon on both of those difficult, or with both of those affixes going. So, if you run a lot of dungeons, uh, if you're active in the pugging scene, very little will change for you because it's basically just Raider I.O., the outside score compiled by the website that looked at your character and how the high dungeons they ran, but put into the game. When you sign up for a group, you will be able to see the group leader's score and the score for that key that they are trying to list, and they will be able to see your score and this, like, same thing. So you'll be able to see each other's scores. So, in theory, it will make it easier for the group leader to be like, oh, well, you might not be a meta class, but you have done this dungeon that we're about to run on a 20, and we're only looking for a 15, you're fine. Let's let's go. And and vice versa. Yeah, I've never seen that be the case, but I guess that is the idea. That That is the ideal situation for the dungeon score to work out. Obviously, as with all of these tools, the, the player base will try and weaponize them to mm-hmm. exclude the undesirables, and I'm putting undesirables in quotation marks. I, uh, I, I think that has been my whole problem with that system being included in the base game, and Matt and I talked about it for a while, but... That just rubs me the wrong way because it's basically like, regardless of the intention, I can't imagine that they don't know that it won't be weaponized in some fashion. The I think that, that the problem is that the people who will weaponize it don't realize that the only the only case where you need you must have these five classes and these five specs and nothing else for best progression is the top bleeding edge one percent. You're pushing thirty plus dungeons and 
tomorrow you're trying out for the MDI, the Mythic Dungeons and Convention, or International, or Invitational, or whatever. The I love the idea of the Mythic Dungeon Intervention. <laughs> <laughs> this is an intervention. You're running way too many Mythics. I can stop anytime I want. I just need that plus 50 keystone. I just need it. So yeah, that, that was my introduction. That's me giving you something now. I'm going to go back to drinking water. <laughs> so I, for these people, the, that yes, okay, you must have the, the current meta tank, and you must have the three current meta DPS, and you must have a healer who can do off-spec damage, or off-roll damage, like the best of them, to push these keys high. Sure. But yeah. everyone else, for a 15 is... We'll say roughly equivalent to, if you complete all your 15s on time, that is roughly the dungeon equivalent of completing your ahead of the curve, your heroic raid clear, and whatever the equivalent PvP ranking is. I don't I don't know PvP ranks. But it's not cutting-edge content. Anything can accomplish that. You can run with warrior tanks. You can run with monk tanks. You can be a paladin. You can have three melee DPS. You can do off-meta things as much as you want. Because the real skill at the real difficulty at that point will just be your player skill. It won't be what your class brings to the table. It won't be what your covenant brings to the table. It won't be the legendary you're using. So I, I mean, I know it's pie in the sky. I just wish that the people who, who use the system and who looked at what the top people are doing as the the be all end all, this is the only thing that we can run, would realize that the content they are attempting to do is not that content and to lighten up. Yeah, I mean, I guess, but that's always going to be my problem, right? It's it's not necessarily that the system itself is is bad, and it's not a it's not a condemnation on that. It's just that, and this is my experience, and maybe it's because for a very very long time, uh, restoration shaman were kind of like shunned in the mythic plus scene. Um, it, for whatever reason, I don't. It was just this mentality that oh, they're bad and they're going to be bad and you shouldn't take them. And so even when I had like a radar IO score that was good and better or higher than what was needed for the content that I was trying to pug, they would still pass me by because I was a restoration shaman. And that feels bad as a player, right? That That's something like, it's like, okay, even if I'm skilled, even if I'm, uh, you know, perform really, really well, here's... And even if I do this thing to this to this the standard of whatever system is in place, players can still be weird because of whatever meta knowledge or whatever uh, meta feeling they have about it. And I think I and it's not just a wow thing, but like there's this weird mentality that the meta is the meta is the meta, right? And I, yeah. and I, yeah, I agree. I'm saying it's not just the IO thing, it, and it's not because of IO that they're doing it, right? It's just this idea that IO doesn't trump meta right it doesn't surpass it and that's going to be the problem so like it doesn't actually fix anything and so i think having something like that in the game doesn't really do anything except maybe make some more some people a little more anxious so i, I don't know i'm on the fence about it right like i could see where there's value in it but yeah i don't know i'm looking at it as a, it's another tool I never installed the Raider IO add-on, so I never had that information. I, I barely plug as it is, but I, I, I never had that information myself, so I just kind of filled groups with the people who showed up when they showed up, because the sooner the group is made, the sooner I'm in the dungeon playing the game. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. As an aside, though, I don't, I can't imagine why anyone does not want to rest. I mean, other other healers might be better than it's, resto in some way. I don't know, but it's, it's different. It's different tools. now. No, it's different yeah. now. Um, and I will, I will freely admit that I, I know that with, uh, end of battle for Azeroth and in particular now in Shadowlands, like my class and spec is definitely sought after, especially if you're good, that's fine. But that means that somebody else isn't. And I don't know what the, uh, the, the can that's getting kicked down the street class is this, this tier, but that means that somebody fills that spot again. I've never seen it where, oh, yeah, everybody's okay in, in some capacity. There's always some weird uh, perception that, like, maybe it's, you know, uh, Miss Weaver monks or whatever. I, I don't know off the top of my head. Check. Go go look sometime at who's tanking these things. Yeah, tanks oh, get the, the same. the tanks are all Vengeance Team Hunters right now. Yeah, there, yes, they are. Money, there is yep. one Druid and one Warrior. Heck, even my group switched to a Vengeance Demon Hunter. Yeah, it's been Demon Hunters this entire expansion. Yeah. And for a big chunk of last expansion, quite frankly. Yeah. They're really strong. Um, they put that uh, magic damage debuff on things. They move quickly. They have good self-healing. They have that get-out-of-jail-free card. And if they need to kite, which has been the meta for a lot of this uh, season, then they can kite. 
Necrotic, no problem. They'll just leap away, and then they're far away, and there's tax drop. Yeah. Again, and I just want to make it perfectly clear for those listening at home and those listening in the audience, I'm not blaming the system. Players are always going to do weird things that players are going to do. We are are a cowardly and weak lot. (laughs) No, I think Allison Roberts said it the best. She once said that players are relentlessly, ruthlessly logical and rational. Yeah. Even when it doesn't actually make sense. When it isn't really necessary. Players will be ruthless when it's not them, especially. Mm -hmm. And it's just the way players are. Um, But at this point, we're going to move it on to the next item on our agenda, which is namely that raiding is starting uh, for patch 9.1. The Sanctum Domination raid starts on July 6th. Uh, That means you'll have about a week when, uh, since it's dropping on the 29th in, in North America, you'll have about a week to get ready before the Sanctum of Domination comes out. So you'll have one week in patch 9.1 to possibly raid um, Castle Nathria one last time if you're just a glutton for punishment. If you um, really want to get your dance on. Yeah. <laughs> but then after that, the Sanctum of Domination will open up, which of course means we're going to finally get to see... Pro- I expect that day someone will complete uh, the Sylvanas fight. Oh yeah, they're going to push for um, it. They won't be able to get it Mythic until the next week, because Mythic doesn't open until the week after, along with LFR, first wing. But you didn't say that, but uh, Sire Denathrius did hold on for three days before someone killed him on Heroic. Okay, yeah, but they'll still get it done on normal. Oh, yeah, sure, on normal. And there's no, yeah. and there's no cinematic difference. There's Usually the, the fights are exactly the same until you get to Mythic, in terms of what happens after you complete them. So someone will kill, so woman will kill Sylvanas that day, or possibly, at the longest, three days. And we'll know basically the, the lore of what happens next, uh, which will be interesting to see. What are you guys thinking about? Like, what's what's the thing about Patch 9.1 you're the most interested in and the thing you're most kind of kind of like leery of? I'll let Corey go. I would definitely am very interested to see uh, how the Corthia story pulls in all the covenants and we get them working together in the expanded covenant campaigns there. I've deliberately not poked my head too far around in it on the PTR just to get as much of that uh, wide-eye wonderment as I can as I walk in for the first time. Because I love New Zone. Uh, exploring them is great. Least excited for? I I don't know. It, it's all it's all good stuff. It's all stuff that we've wanted. Flying is coming. I'm really happy for flying. I don't know that I have a least excited for. I, maybe I'm least excited for the inevitable rift in the player base as Sylvanas finally gets what's coming to her. And half the people agree with it and half the people don't agree with it. Or maybe Yeah, that's... That that's the oh god that's that's all I'm not looking forward to that I'm, I'm not looking to forward not, to our emails that week <laughs> I'm planning to agree and not agree with it at the same time yeah yeah that's going to be me I'm going to be arguing both sides I, it's going to be great um, for myself uh, I'm I'm super excited for Tazavesh I don't know when I'm going to get to run it but I'm super excited about it I think it's really nice it's not just because it's a mega dungeon, because also it's the thing I love the most in every expansion. It's the sidetrack. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Every site, every time there's a sidetrack, I'm more into the sidetrack than I ever am into the main story. Mm-hmm. Alduar was my favorite in Wrath. Um, Mists, I think everything in Mists kind of felt like a sidetrack. Like every time you'd go to a dungeon, it felt like, oh, this is completely out of nowhere. So Mists was kind of like my personal favorite rating because every dungeon felt like, what? Now Mogu? Okay. Uh, now we're in Orgrimmar? Oh, okay. Um, so that was... But I tend to really like the sidetrack dungeons and, and raids. I think they, they tend to be amongst my favorites. So I'm super excited for Tazavesh because it's got nothing to do with anything. Um, or does it? Yeah, it but I'm very excited for Tazavesh. I think Tazavesh is... I'm pretty excited about Corthia. That's like my number two behind Tazavesh. Uh, I really do want to see that as well. I'm, I'm kind of on the same boat as, as Corey there. I'm... I'm excited for the Torghast changes. I want to see how they feel when I play them, but that so far I'm, I'm feeling positive about them. I like the basic idea of them. I'm less excited for the Sanctum of Domination just because... I don't know. I, I, I get a weird feeling about the Sanctum of Domination. It feels an almost too much like an endgame raid. Like It does have that feel about it, doesn't it? Yeah, it feels like Ice Crown or something. Looking it's at like, the past expansions though like the second raid tier that has come out has has had the final boss be one of the big characters and in, in battle for azeroth zara lore had jaina in nighthold there was gul'dan if if we go back to warlords that was um black hand so like these are where they put their like big name character that they've been teasing for a while as the big fight historically 
Yeah, I know. But it's not just that. It's the fact that I don't really have a sense for what comes after this. Mm -hmm. And that's been kind of the thing with Shadowlands for a long time. And it's, it's not something I dislike about Shadowlands. It's actually something I think is really interesting. But I do find myself wondering... It's, it's not that I think it's going to be bad. It's that I feel very uneasy about the possible direction this thing is going to take us. And uneasy in the sense that I don't know what it is. I don't. I have no sense of anticipation for it. I can't predict it this time. And that's not bad, but it is disconcerting for me. And it is one of the reasons I'm less excited for the Sanctum of Domination. Although the Terra Gru is an actual raid fight, so looking forward to killing that guy. Yes. Yeah. And the whole raid gets anima powers for that fight, too. So that's cool. Um, but yeah, now we'll, we'll kick it over to Joe. I'm, I'm excited for the Mega Dungeon. I, I like Mega Dungeons. I think they're, like you said, they are a great uh, side quest, a great side adventure, uh, sidetrack. I really enjoy them. I'm looking forward to Corthia. I'm looking forward to the story advancing. I'm looking forward to getting more lore from the game world. The thing I'm least looking forward to, and Corey and I kind of talked about this on Twitter a little bit, I'm not excited for uh, the new sockets. And the reason I'm not excited for the new sockets is because I don't like momentary systems. I think we've talked about this before. It's just not my thing. Momentary systems, whether it's corruption or something else, they're cool in concept. And I don't take anything away from the work that is put into them. They're just not for me. I don't like having to care about something for a single tier, whether that tier is six months or eight months or whatever it is. I don't like having to completely shift things around to accommodate it, which is always what happens. When Corruption came out, you completely changed your gearing if you were trying to be any somewhat optimal with it. Um, there, It just changed the way you play. And in particular, I take umbrage with the fact that because I'm in a male class, and because I'm a male healing class, my legendary crafted right now, my memory is a helm. That's kind of the only slot that it was going to work in. And now I have to figure something else out if I want to optimize all of my uh, domination sockets. And I don't like that, because now that means that I have to go and do content that I don't like, again, repeatedly, to catch up if I shift that to another spot. And it just feels weird because it's pushing me in a direction or potentially that I don't like right um I can't do it as gloves Padilla, because we're male male wearers one of the sockets are in gloves can't do gloves well, I think it's I think it's gloves most giving up one fifth of the domination gems so you will miss out on one gem's worth of power because of your legendary slot and your choice of, of sure legendary but then but yeah. then i have to deal with the guilt of am i not playing optimal and that's the way my brain works right but it's a it's a trap for the, me the rune word because you'll have the three other things so sure. i mean if if blizzard had made it so that you could socket a maximum of three gems then that problem would have been solved but we wouldn't get as much cool power ah thank you Bidia. i i i apologize it's belt uh, belts and boots but still, okay. even 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 then, like it's just it's just it's the way my brain works doesn't grok well with these systems. That's really what it boils down to. I infinitely just prefer systems that can go an entire expansion. Like, and I think Matt and I have talked about this before. For me, I liked the artifacts in Legion because it was an expansion long system that you built into, and when you unlocked new things, that new thing stuck with you as you went along. And this feels like once we're done here with this, is it going to go away when the next year comes out? What's the next system that's going to be there? And again, I could, I, I could be completely wrong. It's just this is just how I feel about it right now. You mentioned two things I want to touch on. Um, corruption, first off, I loved corruption. Oh, man, I wrote a piece about loving corruption because I, I just thought it was the best system because so much of my... Corey. <laughs> so much of my gearing so much of my gearing has been statics for so long especially when you start running mythic plus then all of your gear just kind of looks the same for the entire expansion there was one azurite chest there was one azurite hat you wore the same one the same time the whole time you just upgraded it uh c corruption was the best i got giant cool powers i st shot giant laser beams that did a million damage because i had a giant health pool to buff them twilight devastation was favorite and then for different content, I had different armor sets. Finally, I did. I was doing that thing where I swapped armor sets around. I 
had my single targets back. I had my raid multi-target. I had my mythic plus multi-target. Can, it was amazing. I loved it. Can I can I counter your corruption thing with one with one word or a couple words? Sure. I'm a healer. Corruption did nothing for me. <laughs> you got the cooldown thing. Oh no, wait, that was paladins. Uh huh. <laughs> Look, I'm not saying that I'm not biased <laughs> because my best corruption power. No, but you're you're you, you're, you're highlighting game. you're highlighting something I've been saying since when corruption was was available. DPS really liked it. Because of Twilight Devastation and cool powers like that. If you were a tank or a healer, Corruption was way more boring. Because no, hero- I'm a tank. no, see, you're wrong there, Joe. I will have to say this. Tanks loved it. Maybe for the same thing. Devastation. Twilight tanks, Devastation. Tanks, tanks didn't get anything for survivability from it. Well, but, but the pure here. damage ability made that you could hold aggro a lot better. Sure. And it's still nice. With a proper Twilight Devastation proc... The tank could be atop of the DPS for a little while. Honestly. Like, just straight up, you did that much damage. And there was the proc that, that the axe had mm-hmm. that did damage based on your armor. Like, my Death Knight, I loved it. I absolutely loved all the AoE damage I could put out. It was crazy. Yeah, my, Man, I wish that had been a mace instead of an axe. If my I best, gotten that my best my corruption was, was I got more stats. Yeah, no, there was... It was really great for DPS. It was pretty good for tanks, and it was pretty meh for healers. Yeah, you know, my my yeah, I didn't look at it much for my healers. But I think at this point we've talked about corruption from Battle for Azeroth quite a bit. And if you're uh, listening, Buzzard, bring back corruption, please. I'm te- begging you. Technically speaking, we weren't supposed to talk about that. So very briefly, I'm going to mention we found out how Tazavesh hard modes are going to work. And uh, I don't want to, like, spend too much time on it because we have, like, a ton of emails. But basically, the way Tazavesh hard modes are going to work is you're going to have to run Tazavesh normally. The first time, you have to run it just as, you know, I think it would probably be Mythic Zero. Mm -hmm. But you can probably run it on any Mythic level. Uh, But you just have to do it first. There's a really interesting quest chain that I'm going to tell you to go look at the site because we have a post about it up. Um, And you run through this quest chain. And then the next time you run Tazavesh, after you've completed the quest chain... You, you go up to somebody before the first boss pull and you effectively in, engage in a different version of the dungeon where you're disguised as, an, as a broker. And of course, since you're disguised as a broker, you, you kind of short, you go around some of the stuff, but that means the fights are harder. Um, for example, the first boss, there's like trash waves you have to clear to get to him. But when you do it on hard mode, you don't clear the trash. Instead, the trash aggros during the boss fight. So you actually have much less of an area to fight in. There's trash everywhere and you have to try and avoid it. And you have the boss there and the boss has an ad with it. So yeah, it's, it's that. And that's the case for a lot of the fights. They change in various ways mechanically based on your being disguised as a broker. So it's pretty cool. Uh, go take a look at that. Uh, hard mode gear is going to add seven eye levels. So if you say you're doing it at like mythic five, uh, then you would add seven item levels onto the item level of the gear dropping in Mythic 5. No so. Mythic Plus for Tazavesh. Oh, I thought there was. Nope. Not, no, okay. not right now. They'll probably do the same thing they did with um, Mechagon. Likely it'll be a later thing. But it'll you can get up to 233 right now. Then Yeah. I remember that you know you can get up to item level 233 gear in Tazavesh just by doing it um, with the hard modes engaged. And it, it turns on the entire raid, the entire dungeon. Uh, once you activate hard mode, you've activated it for every boss. So you can't skip any, but you can't like just do, oh, I only want to do this one in hard mode. Nope. It's all or nothing. Yeah, I mean, I'm not, I'm not upset at that. As long as I don't have to input a, the correct combination of symbols in the, in oh, the buttons. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, 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 no. No, I'm just, I'm not taking a <laughs> stand on it. I'm just saying this how it is. But we're going to move on to doing them their emails and questions now. Um, if you have a question for the show, you can get it to us one of two ways. First up is the old email way. You can email us at podcast at blizzardwatch.com with the subject line podcast or blizzardwatch so we know it's for this show. Or you can do that thing we say for either show, and then I usually steal it because, you know, I'm, I'm there on Tuesday. Uh, but if you don't want to do that, you want to hit our Discord instead, you can go to Discord, our Discord. You know what it is. The uh, Patreon Q and Podcast Questions channel or the Q Questions channel. We look in the patron one first because, you know, patrons pay for the site and everything and kind of keeps the lights on. So we like to take their questions first. But we do also look in the Q questions channel. This this week's emails and questions, some of them come from either of those channels. So 
Uh, Joe's going to read them for us, if you don't mind, Joe. Not at all. Uh, first one comes from Gifted Healer from Silverhand. The current Night Warrior will live through sharing the power of a loon with the player character and maybe her adopted daughters. Daughter. Thoughts? I don't think we're going to get any of it. No, I, I doubt we're going to be involved in that either. I think she might share the power of a loon with all the people who died. Because we keep freeing Night Elf souls from, from Torghast. I think and, they might be involved. And they keep going to Ardenwell and kind of sitting and chilling. Yeah, so I think that they might get it. Uh, and I think that Chandris is p- another possibility, sure. Um, maybe she'll share with Malfurion and he'll blow up. Haha, I like Malfurion. Nice? No, I like Malfurion. You can I hope you die. I, wow, that got dark really, <laughs> really quick. Real fast. Yes. He's not my favorite druid. No, I, she, I, I can tell. You like the kind of druids that, you know, secretly firebomb places. It's cool. Yeah, you know. Look, all I want is for them to focus on Hamul Rune to him for once. That's all I'm asking. They did focus on him. They focused really hard on him. He got crispy from all the focus. <laughs> well, regardless, um, I agree, though. I don't think we're going to get any of that power. I have actually heard some people trying to, like, make a case for it creates a new uh, allied race somehow. Um, I don't think that's going to happen either because they've been yeah. pretty adamant about not doing another allied race for at least a long while. Um, well, plus, I mean, really, they did what you're going to probably see is it, it'd be like a canon justification for everybody for players who get the Night Warrior skin thing going on, mm-hmm. which it's now in the customization options. You can pick the the vacant black eyes and the the darker skin. So yeah, that's if you got that, you went with the Night Warrior thing. The Army of the Crescent Moon, I think it's called. Yep. Um, so yeah, it's, I just think they'll they'll make it that. Yeah, there'll just be a story reason for it, and I think that's fine. Um, and it just kind of moves on from there. At least I, I think that's what'll happen. Corey, it would be a hard thing to actually give it to the players as any kind of uh, tangible power increase, because then why would only so all of a sudden night elves are just hands down the best because they uh, they got boosted by Tyrande? I, I don't think we'd see that happening player wise. Yeah, I mean they're already the best just because they're the coolest. They don't. They don't need that. Yeah. I, in all sincerity, I mean, it it just does not feel like something you'd you'd do with a player. I mean, it's a little too close to like you know, your character stops being a player character and now just starts showing up in cinematics and, and kill stealing from raid groups and stuff. It, it just doesn't feel like a player thing. That's that's what I'd say about that. Uh, maybe Chandris, although I kind of like Chandris better as the voice of reason. Yeah, I don't see I don't see Chandris splitting it with her because of that. I think I think that's her new role, right? I think she's now the the Jiminy Cricket, so to speak, um, which I think is fine. I think it, it actually works really really well. And not only that, but like even Maeve is is getting to that point where she's even becoming a voice of reason. And I, I kind of like the idea of them staying separate from that power, seeing what it had done previously, and just being like, we're cool over here, we'll keep y'all grounded, you go do your thing, right? Like, I could see that, and, I'm, I, and I'd be okay with that. I think that fits. Although I could see Maeve wanting a, ha- a big heaping handful of that power. No, no. Not anymore. I have freaked out. Oh really? When, when you go back and if you if you've ever done the quest back in in uh, Battle for Azeroth, Maya is the one who's like, "Oh my God, no! We gotta stop her. This is not a good idea. This is a very bad idea." Mm-hmm. And even after she got the power, Maya was like, "Yeah, this isn't great." Um, remember me over here, the one who was practically genocidally fixated? Yeah, even I think this is a bad idea. <laughs> this this is. This is really not good. So yeah, I, I don't, I don't see Mayev wanting it, if only because Mayev is pre- seemed to be pretty on top of the whole the power will tear you apart thing. Like she was, that she says that, like you know, yeah. the power will tear her apart. You know, we can't. This is not. Don't, don't do this. So yeah, I don't, I don't see Mayev wanting it. She might take it just to ensure Taronda's survival. I could see her doing that because at this point, Taronda is the most important person in their culture. Like her or hate her, you know, you kind of have to deal with her. So I could see her doing that, but I don't th- I don't see her wanting it at all, no. Yeah. Well, it just goes to show my Horde bias there, because I, I don't get those Alliance storylines. And I do, even though I play mainly Horde, but that's okay. But I think we can move on to the next one, unless you guys have anything else you want to add about that. No, I think that pretty much covered it. All right, uh, next one. Hello, long-time listener here. Just wanted to say that both of you guys get me through the drive to and from the Daily Grind while I rock the podcast. Appreciate the killer work. Well... Thank you. I'm glad we could do that for you. Uh, on to the more. 
<laughs> Matt will sing more, and I'll, I'll make sure that it's a standout, and I'll add reverb and make it all, like, auto-tune. It'll be fine. Uh, on to the meat and potatoes question. In your individual opinions, why does Blizzard steadfastly refuse to give Wargans the option to fight with their claws only? We see Gen do it, so why can't we? It doesn't seem too complex a feat coding-wise, being as it's available to Gen's model as well as Monk's. Not uh, not would it alter in-game balance. I love the Worgen race, their lore, and recovery journey. But not being able to go full-on werewolf really disconnects me from the fantasy. Let me be primal, damn it. Thank you, guys, once again. Zariel, the Lightbringer, a horde paladin from Akama. I honestly think it just boils down to the simple fact of class and weapon animation trumps individual character, like, race animation, right? It's... It's the same argument that monks had when they first released, right? When monks were released in Pandaria or in beta, there was this whole thing where um, people were complaining that I have these cool weapons that I can get, but you can't see them because it's just strapped to my back. Or maybe, depending on how your character holsters that particular weapon uh, or sheaths it, it doesn't show up on your character at all. There's a ton of, of daggers and swords and even staves that just don't show on your character when they're they're stowed because they're just that's the way they're coded. And so you could get this really cool thing and this really beautiful piece of weaponry and never see it. And that I think is kind of why I don't think they'll ever let Worgen just go pure claws because then it sort of takes away from all that art assets that they spent all that time doing. Um, and again, I don't know if that's the real reason or not. I think it would be cool if they gave you the option maybe like of ticking a box that says don't show weapon animations. Let me just be fully feral. Uh, I don't know what it would entail. I don't know uh, what that would do to the game as far as coding wise. And again, saying something is easy in coding. We've talked about this a lot. We're not the ones that make that game. And we don't know the pitfalls and landmines that exist in that code. And I guarantee you there are some still, despite having been revamped as many times as it has. Uh, because otherwise, adding things to the game wouldn't break raids and expansions from years gone by. So, just my two cents. What do you guys think? I think it's really hard to rune forge your claws. Well, that's what nail polish is for. And, like, you know, <laughs> extensions, right? Like, you can just carve them on there. Oh, for oh. sure, yeah. Let me jump in here a second with an idea that I don't know if people remember this. There was a time where every race had unique combat animations. Yeah. And that's back. not the case anymore. Mm-hmm. It hasn't been the case since Legion. Um, but before Legion, if you were playing an undead warrior, you did an awesome front flip when you were attacking and you used like bloodthirst with, with two one-handed weapons. You do this crazy undead... Um, warriors were the best looking warriors the Horde had in terms of animations because they were like just jumping all over the freaking place especially female uh, Forsaken. It was it was literally like fighting somebody who didn't care about themselves because why would they? They're dead people. They did so they just threw themselves into battle. Torin, all of their animations were extremely large and ponderous mm-hmm. as you would expect for a Torin. Um, orcs were boring. Because orcs are boring, and they always have been boring, guys. I played an orc throughout Mists of Pandaria. Wasn't fun. Their animations were not as nearly as cool as the Forsaken or Torin. Uh, but they were cooler than Blood Elves. I'll give you that. They were cooler than Blood Elves. Uh, Blood Elves do have, have great caster animations. But they really weren't that great for, like, for melee, in my opinion. But then again, I didn't play a rogue. So maybe they look really cool doing, doing rogue stuff. But the point being, everybody had different animations. And they standardized it because it was, A, it was difficult to make everything work. Like, every attack animation you see has to be coded in and troubleshooted, and otherwise it, you're making sure it works and hits properly. There was a bug that, that was existed between Blood Elves and Torin in, in the Burning Crusade. And I remember this because, I, again, I was playing Horde then, too. I was playing a Torin warrior, and I was tanking with a Blood Elf paladin. We would get to the bear boss in Zulaman. And the, the Blood Elf Paladin would die like a chicken every single time because his hitbox and my hitbox did not line up. Mm-hmm. So when doing the swipe attack, all of the damage would hit him every time. So he would just die. And then we'd have to get him up. And then he'd die again. And I had to like literally move my Torrent back. I had to step away so that I was my hitbox and his hitbox were lined up. That's the kind of thing that can complicate something as simple as an animation and you have no idea it's going to happen until it happens. 
they deliberately went and got rid of 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 race specific animations and made everything class based in Legion. So if you have Rampage and you use Rampage on your warrior, it's basically the same animation for a night elf, for a blood elf, for an orc, for a tauren, for a human, for a dwarf. It's basically the same animation. It's scaled differently for different races, but it's the same move movements. Yep, same with casting and spells. Yeah, and I don't know if that's one of the reasons why they would they wouldn't do that for Worgen, but it is at least in my mind a suspicion that they don't want to introduce racial specific animations again. Like it's the opposite of the direction they want to go. Now, Corey plays a druid, so he already knows what it's like to never get to use your weapons. You What's know, a weapon. I've yeah. never seen one of those in my life. Yeah, druid, feral, and guardian druids never see them. Um, I don't know if Moon can get to use their stabs and such. Do they? Nope. They just have I, casting animations. Yeah. If they have, yeah, they have their casting animations, but I think the Moon can have them sheathed on their backs. Though. They do. They, they, you can see the weapons on their backs and at their sides. I think some of them, depending on the race. I think the Zandalari, uh, weird pterodactyl-looking uh, hybrid. Depending on the side weapons, some of them don't show because of the wings. But yeah. But, but the point being that I get why you want it, and I totally feel for you. Um, when I play my Worgen, it always feels really weird to see me like you know doing the weird bent-over wolfy animations with two giant swords. Um, but yeah, I don't think it's ever going to happen because I don't think they want to add in more complications to have to balance for. Because imagine having to play test out Every single time you, you add a new thing, now you have to see if it works with the worgen, or does the worgen break it? Now, if I hit bloodthirst on my worgen, nope, no, it doesn't work. Breaks the, you know, now we have to go through and troubleshoot this. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's just more work for something that is of relatively limited utility. It's one race, and you'd have to do animations. Either they do just the same animations for absolutely everything. So an, a worgen rogue and a worgen warrior and a worgen druid all basically do the same stuff now or they they have different animations for everything so now you have a special rampage claw attack and just more complications to possibly mess things up they could always go the route of just adding a claw weapon type of something they already have fist weapons they yeah, can add an animation that maybe looks like that and maybe let you mog into something that is that there, there there's a way that they maybe could accomplish it without breaking everything maybe well i mean for that fact i mean you know they do actually have claw fist weapons they do and i've used them on my various characters i don't know that that's really a solution to this but i mean it is you know if you really want to claw something at this point you can use a fist weapon if you're like for instance if you're a warrior you can put a fist weapon over any one hand weapon mm-hmm so if you're a, a Fury Warrior and you want to do this, or a Rogue, you could probably put a Fist Weapon animation over anything. And as a result, you could f- just be using Fist Weapons and you could look like you're clawing things. That's something you could do right now as a, as a stopgap. But in terms of them actually introducing a whole new animation, I do not think they're going to do that. Yeah, I would tend to agree. Yeah. All right. And if they were going to do a bunch of new animations, I would just hope that they just make more race is able to be druid. I still think it's weird that Volpera can't be a druid, but that's a whole other story. And Pandaren. Uh, yeah. I don't understand that either, but maybe we'll get there. That's that's a topic for another day, but Blizzard, if you're, if you're listening, the players want it. At least me and Corey want it. Um, our next question. So this is from Vertigree. In your opinion, are the Alliance and Horde empires? Given that the term has had many differences in what it describes, I think there's a case for it. Um... I'm going to go with no, because an empire traditionally is one individual having control over multiple individual cities or states or countries. And the Alliance and the Horde are decidedly not that, as is evident by the uh, elves piecing out at one point during the Alliance stuff. And and when, you know, potentially having to deal with that, uh, the fact that all those nations can kind of go and do their own thing, they're not beholden to Anduin or a High Crown or anything like that, so I wouldn't necessarily classify them as an empire. And the Horde has decidedly moved away from the War Chief role, especially after the events of the last one. I would think maybe prior to this, you could have made a case that they were edging into Empire territory simply because everybody deferred to the War Chief, uh, despite it not originally starting as a, a emperor style role. But yeah, I think I think in the current state of things. I don't think that they're empires. I think that the individual uh, racial nations uh, of of individuals can just 
kind of walk away whenever they're ready to. There is no, there is no threat, I guess you would say, <laughs> uh, for them to, and do, to, to not do otherwise. Up to the gates of Iron Forge and demand the dwarves come back. Yeah, Anduin, unlike his father, won't send SI seven in to go assassinate somebody necessarily. He might after this. I don't know. We'll see. I think in general, what you have to do is look at the names of the two groups, and that kind of gives you an idea of what they are and how mm-hmm. their organization works. Mm-hmm. Although in the case of the Horde, it's not very apt anymore. Um, the original Hold Horde, the, the Horde that came over from Draenor uh, to Azeroth, was a Horde. It wasn't an empire because it didn't really hold any territory in the world it was in. It was a mobile military invasion force that was attempting to seize territory. It's much like if you look at the Mongols... Um, before and after Genghis Khan. Uh, before Genghis Khan, they were a strong military force that had, you know, ransacked m- numerous times. But under under Genghis Khan, they became an empire. He took and held power in multiple places. Mm-hmm. Multiple nations were under his specific rule. Um, the Roman Empire is actually a really bad example for empire building because they did it in a very different way. The concept of imperium was very unique, and it was it was less about a person and more about the powers of offices. Um, if you actually go and look at the Roman emperors, they were they were imperator because they had the power of various offices, not because they themselves technically it wasn't an inherited position. Even when a son followed a father, that was because he got he, the father got the son affirmed. Um, and the, 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 like for instance, the the emperor of Rome was the Pontifex Maximus for one. Uh, the, the the head bridge priest, the bridge priest was the guy who who blessed bridges. Uh, so that Rome, Rome had a lot of rivers, so bridges were important. Um, so you, you have the kind of centralized power, uh, whether through the use of, of titles or just personal authority, cult of personality type thing. That's sort of a hallmark of an empire. Mm-hmm. The Horde didn't have that when they were the Horde of Draenor. Uh, they were kind of ultimately ruled by like a single force, and it force varies depending on who you think it was. For a lot of people, it was Blackhand, and for a lot of more people, it was actually Goldon. But when Doomhammer took over, Doomhammer basically showed, no, it's me. I am in charge. Uh, if Gul'dan does anything I don't like, I will kill him. And at that point, they kind of stepped away from Empire forever. Uh, they, were, they would always be a militaristic force, but they ended up not holding any territory in Azeroth because Doomhammer ultimately failed and was stri- they were driven back to the Dark Portal. And that pretty much was the end of any Imperial ambitions the Horde might have had. Any version of it in the future... The version Thrall led, the version Garrosh led, the version we have now, have all been more about banding together for mutual defense than anything else. Like the orcs and the tauren and the trolls came together not like because any one of them wanted to rule the others, but because they could, they were stronger together. Mm-hmm. They could defend each other better. Um, and then it, and that changed and grew over time, and we've seen lots of variations, and the allied races have changed it again, and now they have like this council set up. So it's very much not a, a centralized empire. It's very much, it's almost like a group of unaffiliated city-states that have come together for mutual defense and for the idea of the Horde as an organization. The Alliance is an alliance. It is practically the allies from the First and Second World War. It is not an empire. There's very little in terms of any sort of central government. Uh, the, The leaders of each individual state have as much power and authority as they can get away with exerting. And it, it's, as Joe pointed out, the second another leader decides not to back them, then they're gone. Like, the Night Elves are currently completely on their own. They're taking over Hyjal. They're looking down on Orgrimmar and thinking about if they can build catapults that can get fiery missiles into that. And that's where they're doing right now. They're not... Anduin has no control over them and no oversight of them. The second, like, the Dwarves or the, the Night Elves or the Gnomes or the Draenei or anybody decide we're not doing what we're told... They're out again. Uh, look at Kul'Tiris. Kul'Tiris joined the original alliance, then left, and now they're back in. And how long before they're out again? When when it suits them? Mm-hmm. There's nothing. There's nothing to hold them. There's no overarching government here, and that's really necessary for an empire. So yeah, neither of them are empires by by the standard definitions of those terms. Um, in terms of their power and influence on Azeroth. I mean, it's kind of hard to, to argue that, say, the Quillbors certainly look up at the Horde as an evil empire. I mean, the Quillbors got driven out of their homelands. They, they, have, they have almost nothing left because of the Horde. Um, the Furbolgs probably look at both the Horde and Alliance as equally horrible and probably see very little difference between them. Um, the the, the uh, Night Elves 
utterly failed to help them in their time of need, and the Horde burned down their forests. Uh, you know, it's to the people of Azeroth who aren't in either group, it's probably fair to say they feel like a, like empires, and you feel like the poor sucker who's in the middle of the ground when these two titans decide to tussle over something else. Um, so they, yeah, th- that's I think it's fair in an informal sense, but it's not accurate in a descriptive sense. Yeah, I would agree. You right. anything, Corey? I just think of empires as they've built the roads everywhere, like Rome, or I think of the Warhammer 40k Empire, Imperium, same, same. And yeah, the, the strong figurehead really is the key there, and everyone pretty much in lockstep, and both the Horde and Alliance are definitely not that. All right. All right, well, moving on to our next one. Our next one comes from Roxy uh, for the podcast. Greetings, watchers of Heavily Falling Frozen pre- uh, Precipitation. It is I, Roxy, Goblin Shaman from Hygel US. With 9.1 now having an official release date, I have a question about spoilers and the Cinematics Blizzard releases to hype patches. My question is, is the cinematic a spoiler? I will argue it's not for two reasons. One, Blizzard themselves officially released it way back in BlizzCon Online. But more importantly, two, it is the actual transitory piece of lore between the patches. It therefore doesn't spoil new information as it is meant to do exactly that. It appears to follow the final cinematic in 9.0, found only after you defeat Denathrius and complete Bolvar's Torghast quests. Thoughts? Well, I think it depends on when they put it out. Uh, so obviously BlizzCon line had happened decently into the patch and most people the had had a chance to go through and i think that probably by then sire denathrius had been on lfr too so you could have completed the bolvar storyline but i'm sure there were still people who had not gotten through all that way so is it would it be considered a spoiler now at the nine point at the eve of 9.1 no probably not because you've given the maximum amount of time for everyone to see the content it has been in the game available for the last however many months spoiler field averted but depending on when you release it like if blizzcon had happened back in november and we hadn't really had all that time in the patch and they started talking about 9.1 and they showed that end when spoiler then yeah it's a spoiler right. matt what do you think i mean i don't actually disagree with what Corey just said but i feel bad that i don't disagree with it because like now that means i'm not adding anything to the discussion so sorry um but yeah i mean if anything, I would say that even if they'd released it earlier, it wouldn't be a spoiler, because what does it spoil? That, you know, we knew something was going to happen to Anduin. We knew something was going to happen to Anduin from the moment where he sends you through into Oribos, and the jailer's like, you know, no, I found what I was looking for. <laughs> uh, I mean, did he have to, like, hold up a sign going, I'm talking about you, Anduin? Like, you know, I, I felt like from that moment, it was already pretty telegraphed that Anduin was in for a bad time. Uh... You know, I wouldn't mind it if more characters held up signs like in uh, Wily Coyote, just explaining what they were doing <laughs> at any one at any given time. Be a fun visual. I would agree. Um, my take on it is kind of somewhere in the middle. I think that it is a little bit of a spoiler, and the only reason I say that is because not all of the cinematics they release are considered uh, transitionary pieces, right? They're sometimes put in very odd places or at the end of a campaign or at the end of a very specific quest. So they very much have a spot that they have an idea where the cinematic is going to play and showing it ahead of that spot technically is spoiling it because a lot of times those cinematics are payoffs to those events. That said, it is blizzard releasing it and saying, here, look at this cool thing I made. Um, which, you know, the cinematics team definitely makes cool things. Thank you, guys. Please keep making cool things. So it, it really it depends on how pedantic you want to get with the definition of, of spoiler. It, it is, but it isn't. Um, the only thing that I think should be done is, like, you need to make that choice for yourself whether or not you want to watch it ahead of where it's supposed to play. And sometimes that makes it a little harder when it's officially released by Blizzard, uh, because yeah, if it's on our site or something that's been data mined on like Wowhead or something like that, it's easy to ignore because you don't necessarily have to go there. You don't have to hit play. But like in the middle of BlizzCon, eh, it gets a little dicey. You don't know how long that's going to be. You don't know how, you know, if it, you go away for five minutes, what else you're going to miss. And you might feel an obligation to sit and watch it, but you also might feel bad that you watch it. It's it's complicated. Um, so, I mean, long story short, it is and isn't at the same time. Uh, anything else anybody wants to add to that? Kittens also are really soft. Make, 
I also want the cinematics team to keep making new things. Yep. Although, I mean, after after my tweet at Taron Gregory today, he might not. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, All right. I think we have time for one more, Matt. Would you agree? Yeah, I'd say so. Okay. Uh, this one I mean, got- depending, we could, we, it being us, we could end up making it take 20 minutes, so we'll find out. That's true, which is why I'm going to avoid the Diablo one, and we're going to save that for later. Uh, Mad Mirko, question for the show. In Vanilla, priests had racial distinction. Now I don't want actual... Sp- uh, yeah, wow. Sorry. One Question for the show. In Vanilla, priests had, actual, had racial distinction. Now I don't want actual spell differences, but how would you feel about more racial cosmetic variation of on class spells and abilities, i.e. holy spells for night elves being silver to reflect their connection to a loon, dwarven shaman summoning cataclysm-style elementals? I think this ties back to what we were talking about with the weapon animation. It There was a certain element of that for a while, right? Um, and this was, I want to say it was around, around cataclysm that they started doing this. Um, did you know that, like, paladins and shaman had the same casting animation basically up until that point for healing the same holy light animation effect because that was just how it had been always from the beginning and then they let shaman get a glyph that let them make it watery instead of looking like a paladin and now that water is baseline so they have done stuff like that in the past where at least for the classes they've tried to make them as class specific as possible I don't know if they can do that with the races, because again, like we talked about with the weapons, that could be a potential recipe for breaking things or making things. Um, although it would be cool. It would be cool to change the color of something or uh, maybe give a little cosmetic racial uh, bump. We talk about this a lot, too. Like, I think if there were going to be cosmetics in the game that they add in, like doing it for class races would be a good way to do it. It's also often my go-to when I say get rid of racials and give us something like that instead, make it more fun. Maybe I think it would be really, really kind of cool. But what about you guys? You do see it with shaman right now. Like different shaman have different totems. Yeah, just just the totem. Yeah, and that's but that's a pretty big deal. I mean, it's less of a big deal now that totems aren't as important. And also, and they I don't have argue, an animation necessarily. The spell effect that comes off of them is the same. Just throw yeah, that like, out there. But make the you know if if totems were actually around more and did more stuff, I think the fact that like for instance, Dren, I have that weird looking crock pottery thing, and uh, you know, dwarves have like what looks like an axe. That, that there's hammer. cool things you can do. Oh, the hammer. Okay, yeah, whatever. I've not played a dwarven shaman. I just remember looking at the thing. My point being is that's not a bad way to look at possibly doing it. I, mm-hmm. I do think that, like, some classes, it's really hard to justify. Like, warriors. with the warriors, it's like, yeah, I'm hitting you with two axes. There's only so many ways one can do this. Um, like, elves do it, and it's purple. Why? Why is it purple <laughs> when an elf does it? I don't understand. Well, why well, not? it's a void yeah. elf. It's a void elf, so it turns purple when they hit with it. That makes um, sense. Yeah, I know, but I'm saying it's you'd have to sit around and do a lot of work for it. <laughs> Whereas, like, for some, like, for instance, for, like, here's an example. There's only, like, so many druids as it is. And almost all the druids either have their tradition from a long time ago or have learned it from a group that's already doing it. Um, So it's, like, you could justify it, but it would be, it would feel really strange to me if there was a druid that cast, say, like, I forget what the druid heal over time is called. uh, Regrowth. But if you're casting regrowth, but you're a worgen, so instead of it being leaves, it's a bunch of puppies that like run around you and lick you. It's the eternal snuffling sound. Suffer. <laughs> <laughs> you're you're making an argument for a lot of classes getting their own. Unique I, I'm not actually opposed to it, but I just don't see them doing the the, the development. For yeah, it. I think that's really what, what the, my problem too is. I don't see them really putting the time into it. I don't know if they they can or if it's something they want to do. Yeah, like if you have to sit down, you're like, okay, we're gonna put development into something. We can develop this whole new class for the next expansion, or everybody gets weird cosmetic spells. Uh, I think it's been shown that the expansions with a new class tend to do better. Mm-hmm. And historically, yes, yeah, they do. Yeah, so it's like you know, we don't really need another class, but people want it. So yeah, we're gonna do the Rune Smasher instead of giving everybody like you know a racial spell animation plus every dwarven racial spell animation should just be like a a barmaid shows up with a tavern like a flag and a veil and just gives it to you that's it oh so you just want the the brewfest trinkets you're at yeah that's that's just what the the dwarven special spells are for any (laughs) spell and it doesn't matter what it is i'm shooting lightning at people why is there a barmaid why not and and of course barmaid should be like you know they should also be bar gentlemen 
uh, as long as they're wearing lederhosen and nothing else. I'm on board. With I that. always wanted to pitch it as there's every so often people will get jump up and down about uh, wanting a fourth spec for a lot of the class druids get theirs because they were grandfathered in, but the rest of them could have an extra spec. And you know the usual here's a shaman tanking spec. Uh, warriors get a dedicated gladiator spec. Paladins get something fancy, a ranged caster they always seem to want to go to. Or if, if, you, if this idea doesn't have warriors getting a healing spec that involves yelling at people till they get <laughs> up, I don't want to hear it. The ultimate in motivational speakers. Uh, I just, it, rather than taking the amount of work that it would take to balance 12 new specs, if they gave everyone a brand new racial or a brand new class cosmetic overhaul that you could choose to add to your things, like Druids would get Druids of the Flame, Mages could get a bunch of bronze magic, like dragons. That would be great. Uh, you know, everyone would get something new that they could choose to turn on if they wanted to or not. Uh, you could be the Druid of the Flame or you could be the Druid Classic. And go nuts with that. Like, let's let's get some variety in that way. Yeah, I'm not opposed to it. I mean, I, 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 I'm on again, record as would. thinking that it's a good idea to do, you know, specific class stuff like that. Like the, the Mountain Father or whatever. I think it would be great. I just don't see it happening. It just doesn't seem to be the direction they're going with the development of the game right now. Yeah. It feels it like if anything. Yeah. Well, just not even that it'd be a lot of work. Yes, it'd be a lot of work, but so is doing anything. I it's, mean, it, I, I often equate this to it's you, you have like a bucket, right? And that bucket can only hold so much at a time. And like you can only choose like an X amount of things that fit into that bucket to to, you know, to kind of focus on. And that's kind of like what game development of an MMO this big sort of is. You only have so much space in that bucket. And eventually you just have to look at leaving either something else out or what do you take out to make room for that other thing you want to put in. It's there's no good quick answer to how you balance that, right? It's it's weird, it's mercurial, and there's a ton of stuff in this game. We talk about it a lot. WoW's been around for a long, long time. There's how many expansions, how many classes, how many specs, how much content that is that has been there. There's new content being developed, even when we talk about like the momentary uh, systems and things like that. All of that stuff is there. And it takes time, and it's what do they want to focus on? What do they feel is most important? What do they feel needs attention? And what do you take away to work on something else? And the I think it's been kind of proven that a lot of the low-level cosmetics, those tend to be something that they wait uh, until, like, there's nothing else going on, or there's a lull, or they've caught up with most of what they want to be. Um, and then they'll add more cosmetic stuff into it. Not that they don't do it regularly but you can definitely see there's a pacing difference like when there's new mounts or when there's new new pets or new transmog stuff it's usually when they've caught up on something else and they can make room in the bucket for it because something is completed and is taken out and released to the wild so obviously this is all speculative because we're not there but yeah it, it does feel like this is not something they would push as a priority yeah as cool as i might personally think it would be um, I would, I would love, cool. I'd love it if they had like the Vindicator Paladin. Oh yeah, who was like, a Draenei Paladin who used all like very specific abilities that were Draenei in origin, or like the Blood Knights who actually like it's all blood red and like you know swirling and there'd be a lot of there's a lot of cool possibilities. I just don't know that we're ever going to see it. Yeah, but I think that's all we have time for. Unless you guys want to add anything else. Uh, not me, but I do want to ask Corey if he's got any kind of final words to throw in before we do the outro. Tell your pets, I said. Hey. Hold on a second. Hey, hey, Sam. Corey. She blinked. There you go. Perfect. That's all I ever wanted. <laughs> um, I can't t- tell my pets right this moment, but I'm sure their reaction is going to be. <laughs> so there you go with that. <laughs> do with also it what, what you will. Yeah. All right. Well, Blizzard Watch is made possible due to the generous contributions at patreon.com slash Blizzard Watch. Your continued support means this podcast signing community is able to thrive and grow. Blizzard Watch supporters enjoy exclusive benefits like early access to the podcast, better chance at having your question answered on our podcast or the queue, and an ad-free site experience. Get my tongue again. Bookending. We're just bookending. That's that's good podcasting. You brought it back. Full circle. Full circle. Anyway. <laughs> Thanks for being here with us on the podcast. If you have an email or question, please send it to podcast at blizzardwatch.com with the subject line podcast or blizzard watch. So we know it's for the show or go to our discord to the patron Q and podcast questions channel 
or the Q Questions channel, and we'll look at there as well. Uh, this has been the Blizzard Watch Podcast. My tongue really hurts, and we'll be back next week. And thank you, Corey, for joining us. Anytime. <laughs>